We've been looking at the Ten Commandments the past few weeks, not just as rules to follow, but really looking at them as God's way to help us diagnose the spiritual problems in our lives and in our families. And they're also God's prescription for how we can live as spiritually healthy people and how we can build healthier, stronger families. And the first two commandments really help us focus our hearts and our minds on what really matters, on who is most important in our life, and that is God. And in order for us to live as spiritually healthy people and families, we've got to keep God first in our lives. We have to make room for God. We have to reject the world's substitute little g-gods, but we also have got to resist the tendency to try to reshape God into our own image as well. Today I want us to look together at the third commandment. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to look at verse 7. The third commandment is this, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses His name. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for Your Word. We're thankful that it does give us not just rules and commands to follow, but prescriptions to help us to become the kinds of people You've created us to be, to be healthy people, to be whole people, to lead our families to be healthy and whole and holy. And I pray, Lord, that You would truly speak to us from Your Word this morning, that it would not return to You void, but would accomplish everything in our hearts and minds that You desire to accomplish. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. We can sum up this third command rather simply. Take God's name seriously. Take God's name seriously. Now, I've been thinking a lot this past week about names as I've been working on this sermon and thinking about names. And names are kind of funny things. And any parent that's had that daunting task of thinking of the perfect name to name your child, right? I mean, this is the name they're going to go by all their life. It's the name you're going to yell at them when they're mad. So it's got to be catchy, right? You've got to be able to say all three of those names good. Abigail Grace Lambert, it just it works, you know? I think we did a good job. But that's also going to be, not that we ever have to do that. <clears throat> but this is also the name that's going to be read out at graduation. You're right, and this is going to be the name that, that you know, is going to, it's going to have to go good maybe with a different last name because this is going to be a name you're going to read in the newspaper there for a wedding. Uh, this is the name that, uh, that might even be the name that goes with a business or, or associated with a certain occupation. Now, that's a funny thing. I, I knew a preacher growing up whose name was Pastor Lord. Now, that's pretty good, isn't it? Reverend Lord. And so that got me to thinking, what other funny names are there that go great, or maybe not so great, with professions? And I did a little Googling, and, and I did verify these. These aren't made up. I actually hunted down these people to make sure these were real people. And I just want to share a few of these with us this morning. This is, this is so much fun. This is Dr. Ken Hurt, the orthodontist. <laughs> Dr. Hurt. All right, the next one here is uh, Dr. Payne. He's a dentist. Dr. Payne. Boy, I'd change my name, I think, if I were a dentist. Uh, the next one here uh, is a real optometrist, Dr. Stephen Eyeball. <laughs> Great marketing there. All right, the next one here is Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor. Give me, anyway. 
All right, and then the next one here, uh, this is the meat manager, Brad Slaughter. I mean, with a name like that, how do you not go into the meat industry, right? Uh, this next one is um, Bob Walk. He was a pitcher for the Pirates. You, know, you might remember him. A pitcher whose last name is Walk. That's pretty ironic there. Uh, this next one is Larry Sprinkle, weather forecaster. <laughs> Makes you wonder if he didn't change his name, right, when he became a meteorologist. All right, and this next one is, uh, this is a real guy. He was in the British Navy. Uh, Admiral Sir Manly Power. Now, I'll, that's great. Manly Power, that is an admiral you would have to respect and fear, isn't it? And then this next one here, uh, Lieutenant Les McBurney of the Sun Prairie Fire Department. Chip, I thought you'd like that one right there, McBurney. And then this next one is uh, McCracken Chiropractic. <laughs> that's in Calhoun, Georgia, right? That's a local one here. Okay, this next one is... Uh, Sergeant Paul Paulos of the St. Paul Police Department. How could you not get that job when you're applying for it, right? And uh, this last one, Christian Guy. Christian Guy, Center for Social Justice in England. And it made me wonder, I wonder if he lives up to his name, right? If he is a Christian Guy. What's in a name? We laugh, and that's, that's a lot of fun. We can have a lot of fun with names. But God says there's a lot in a name when it's his name. That's why God tells us not to misuse His name. Now, you look at that third commandment, you might think, well, why is God so sensitive about His name? Well, because as we just demonstrated, there's a lot in someone's name. A name implies a certain character. At its most basic function, a name symbolizes a person. It represents your reputation. You might even hear people say that, well, He's making a name for Himself. Or if someone has a good reputation, we say that that person has a good name. Some names are forever connected to particular uh, reputations. If I said the name Judas Iscariot or Benedict Arnold, what comes to your mind? Betrayal? Treason? Being a traitor? If I said the names George Washington or Abraham Lincoln, what comes to mind? Honesty and patriotism and service to your country. That's why Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Name is an important thing. And the way we use God's name either reflects His true character or it misrepresents God. You know, we may not be able to harm God with our words, but we can certainly hurt ourselves. We can hurt our children. We can hurt all of those around us that we're trying to represent God to because they come away from us with a bad understanding of who God is. A name implies authority as well. I mean, think about it. Names can carry great authority. A policeman has authority because he can command us to stop in the name of the law. A U.S. ambassador has authority because he speaks in the name of the President of the United States. An older sibling might have authority given from mom or dad to look after their younger siblings because mom said so. You know, sometimes a name can get you a good seat. A name can get you a job interview. You know, if somebody's powerful enough, they may say, just mention my name. Jesus tells us to pray in His name because His name has great authority 
in heaven and on earth. It means that we don't approach the throne of God because of who we are. We approach it because of who Jesus is. A name implies authority. But it also implies a relationship. If you call someone by their first name, it implies that you know that person. You've got a relationship with them. In a similar way, when God allows us to use His name, to speak His name, to call on His name, it means that He comes down to be with us. He desires to have a relationship with us. The very name Emmanuel, in fact, means God with us. When God revealed His personal name to Moses at the burning bush, and He said, I am that I am. You tell them, I am sent you. And God revealed that holy personal name. It was a big deal. It indicated a new level of relationship and commitment. God was entering into a kind of relationship with Israel that was unlike anything in history. But in this commandment that God gives to Israel, He's letting them know that with that great honor, with that relationship, with that intimacy, there comes responsibility not to misuse God's name for their own purposes. So what are some of the ways that we can misuse God's name? How might we treat His name flippantly instead of taking it seriously? Well, the first way is insult. We can misuse God's name as an insult. You think about the most basic way we think of taking God's name in vain, and and if something is vain, that means it's useless, it's worthless, it's meaningless. So if we're going to treat God's name as if it's meaningless, the most basic way we do that is when we use it as a a profane word. I heard about a boy trying to sell a broken-down lawnmower, and the local pastor walked by and saw him there and was persuaded to buy it. And so as he was walking away, he thought, I better see if this thing starts. And he Pulled the string and pulled the string and pulled the string. He couldn't get it to start. And the little boy said, I'm sorry, sir, you've you got to kick it a few times and cuss at it real good before it'll crank. And the pastor looked at him and said, you know how many years it's been since the cuss words ever come out of my mouth? And that boy said, well, you pull that string a few more times, it'll come right back to you. But you know, in seriousness, America is probably one of the most foul-mouthed nations on earth. And it's getting worse and worse. Movie studios intentionally put uh, foul language into a movie just to get that R rating so that the movie seems more sophisticated and more grown up. Even TV shows, especially those on streaming services, are using profanity more and more. It's getting harder and harder to avoid. And I've never really understood why some people fall into that habit of of cussing. Maybe they lack emotional control. Or maybe they do it because they think it's impressive. They use those words to impress other people. I mean, how many kids or teenagers use cuss words because it thinks it makes them look cool or sound grown up or tough? But in reality, if you have to use those kinds of words to impress other people, it's a sign of weakness and insecurity and being small. I mean, any, any idiot can cuss. It doesn't take any intellect. It doesn't take any IQ. It doesn't take any education. But maturity and manliness comes in being able to control your tongue. People who just spout out cuss words, it it's, doesn't change anything. It's truly vanity. Proverbs 10.19 says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. 
See, it takes maturity to discipline your speech, especially when you're angry. You know, you stump your toe or you, you burn the toast or, or that guy cuts you off in traffic. It takes discipline not to swear. It shows maturity and self-control when you cannot do that. But I'm talking about more than just using any old cuss word. I'm talking about turning God's name into profanity or into an exclamation. And this is a trap that probably more of us fall into than we think about. And using God's name as a convenient expression of fear or anger or joy or surprise, you know, you know, my God, I just caught a 10-pound fish. Or Susie's pregnant, oh my Lord. You're reducing God to a level of wow. You're reducing God to the level of cool. Don't make God an exclamation point. God says when we use His name, we better take it seriously. Don't use it flippantly. The second way we can misuse God's name is to indulge ourselves. To indulge ourselves. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we misuse God's name when we use God as an excuse for our failings. Or when we blame God when things don't go our way. You know, a husband might say to his wife, well, God didn't want me to mow the yard today. Or you might think, well, I didn't feel led to get out of bed and go to church this morning. God gets blamed for so much. God didn't want me to keep that promise. I just didn't feel led to fulfill that business deal. I decided God wanted me to do something different. Well, I prayed about it, and don't use God as a cover for yourself or as justification for indulging your wishes. Leviticus 19.12 says, Do not make a promise in my name if you do not intend to keep it. That brings disgrace on my name. I am the Lord your God. Don't use God to excuse or justify your sin, your laziness, your bad decisions, or your dishonesty. We also indulge ourselves with God's name when we worship God falsely. And we talked about this last week. You know, worshiping God falsely is just as bad as worshiping a false god. In Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. We even take the Lord's name in vain in our worship. Have you ever sung a song about Jesus? Maybe even this morning. Singing a song about Jesus, but you're not thinking about the words because your mind is a million miles away. You're thinking about lunch. You're thinking about last night. You're thinking about what's coming up this week. And you're, not, you're thinking about, I don't know, how goofy David's tie looks. I, I, I don't know. You're, you're, you're looking at something else, thinking about something else while your mouths are forming the words. Your heart is not in it. You're just going through the motions. It's just a half-hearted routine. You're indulging yourself for the emotions or the appearance of worship, but not for the glory of God. Another way is to intimidate others. We misuse God's name to intimidate others. Few things give Christians a bad name, like using God to bully someone into doing what you want them to do. People might say something like, God told me what you should do. Or God told me what's wrong with you. Or God told me you're supposed to lend me money. 
Or if you don't post this picture of Jesus on Facebook, you don't love Him. I love that one. Dishonest TV evangelists do this all the time. God said, He spoke to me, if you don't send me $500, well, this ministry, we're just going to have to pull the plug. You know what I say to that? Pull the plug already and stop using God to intimidate people to make you richer. That's what I say to them. But you know, parents, we can be guilty of this sometimes. You know, maybe you're frustrated. You're tired. You've tried everything. You've grounded. You've spanked. You, you name it. So finally, you pull out the God card. If you keep doing this, God's going to get you. Or you're making baby Jesus cry, right? That's a good one. But when we do that, we are using God to intimidate our kids. We shouldn't do that. Spouses shouldn't do it either. You know, you shouldn't ever say to your wife, I've prayed about it and I know God wants us to buy this boat. Because how how do you argue with God, right? I mean, what? That's intimidation. You know, really, it's the spiritual equivalent of forgery. Think about it. If you forge something, you use someone's name against their wishes to get what you want. And we are sometimes guilty of doing that with God. There are a lot of spiritual forgers who say, well, God told me, and you're supposed to say, well, I guess that must be true then. But in the Bible, God had some harsh things to say about false prophets and about those who misuse His name and say that God said things that God didn't say. So we need to be very careful. If we ever say, God said this, you better make sure you're quoting Him right. Another way we misuse God's name is to impress others. You know, insecure believers, maybe even new Christians, uh, can be guilty of this. You know, you're just trying to prove how spiritual you are. And an easy way to do that is, is with the things that you say. So maybe you throw around religious phrases, spiritual cliches, because... It just makes it seem like you're more spiritual than you really are. Really, it's kind of one of the hazards of the job for pastors because people do that with us all the time. You can be having, I'll be sitting, you know, getting the oil changed, sitting in the waiting room talking to somebody, and as soon as they find out I'm a pastor, it's amazing how they start changing the things they say. They start saying things like, well, praise God, it's a great day. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And I'm like, okay, I just, no. That doesn't impress me at all. I'm so much more interested in someone's life reflecting Jesus than the Jesus-y words they use. I, just, I don't care for that. Don't, don't turn God into a cliché. Titus 1.16 says, They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for anything good. God wants your lifestyle to match up with your words, with what you say you believe. Taking God's name in vain can happen when we claim to be followers of Jesus, but we don't actually follow Him. Are you putting your money where your mouth is? Are you walking the talk? Are you practicing what you preach? I ask myself this all the time. And it never surprises me Although it does always leave me sad when I'm out and about and I come across somebody who says they're a member of First Baptist Church and I never see them darken the doors of this building. You know? 
I come across people who say they love the Lord, that Jesus is number one in their life, but are they involved in any kind of ministry? No. Are they spending time daily with God in prayer and His Word? No. Are they tithing and giving above and beyond to the cause of Christ? No. So it's just words then. Nothing more. It's vain. Jesus criticized this. The Pharisees were like that. The Sadducees were like that. And Jesus criticized them too for using meaningless words in their prayers because they thought, well, if they use all these big fancy words, they're going to impress everybody that's listening. They might even impress God. In Matthew 6, 7, Jesus said, When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. All of us at some point are guilty of this, of praying that habitual prayer. You know the one where you take a bite and you forget to say the blessing, so you quickly bow your head and you say that quick prayer, right? That habitual prayer. In a way, that's misusing God's name. When we use God's name as a filler in our prayers. We misuse God's name. Maybe you've heard a prayer like this that went, Dear Jesus, we want to thank you, God, for this nice day, dear Lord. And Father, we thank you, God, for all you do, O Lord. Now, can you imagine if our daughter talked to us that way, dear? If Abby came up to me and she said, Dear Father, thank you so much, O Dad, for giving me this allowance, dear David. I'd be, Are you okay? Do you have a fever? You know, I'm not so forgetful. I need you to remind me every two minutes who I am. And neither is God. But it sounds so spiritual to throw all that in, especially when you're trying to think of the next thing to say. But let me tell you a secret, okay? God is okay with silence. God is all right if you have to pause in your prayers because you're trying to think and be intentional about what you want to say to Him. That is okay. Let's not fill our prayers or our worship with meaningless words meant to impress. And sadly, I don't think there's anybody in this room who can say that we're completely innocent of this command. We might even rationalize it and say, well, well, I don't mean anything by it when I say OMG. I don't mean anything by it. But you know, when you tell God you don't mean anything by using His name flippantly, you know what God says? Yeah, that's the point. The point is, my name is holy. And when you use it, when you talk about me or to me, you should mean it. You should take me seriously enough to be thoughtful when you speak my name. God's deadly serious about this. Think about it. These Ten Commandments, the top ten things that God says are the most important in life. And you know what number three is on that list? Number three, take God's name Seriously. He says he will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. This is not some minor issue. This is a big deal to God. God even encourages us throughout Scripture to honor his name. He promises time and again to bless those who honor his name. So I'm going to conclude with a few thoughts on how can we honor God's name? How can we take God's name more seriously. And the first thing is that we should reverence God's name completely. Reverence God's name completely. Treat it with the utmost respect. Use His name lovingly, carefully, worshipfully. Don't just let it slip out flippantly. Psalm 29.2 says, Honor the Lord for the glory of His name 
Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. As I said before, it can, it's really almost impossible anymore, if you ever turn on the radio or the TV at least, to avoid hearing God's name used in vain. But you know, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to avoid it. That doesn't mean we should just shrug and throw up our hands and say, oh well, it's unavoidable, we might as well just live with it. I think we need to try harder as Christians to avoid as much as possible those influences. Maybe it's a TV show or a movie or, or a particular artist's songs. We need to try to avoid those influences that are intentionally misusing the name of the God who made us and loves us and died for us. And you may say, well, you know, it doesn't bother me. But it bothers God. And it should bother us more than it does. We should work hard to avoid it for our sake and for our children's sake. Think about this. You would never stand to have someone speak the way people speak about God, about your spouse or your child, would you? You'd say something to them. If somebody says something bad about your mom, you're going to get up in their face. But we don't seem to be bothered when they talk about our Jesus that way. They treat His name like trash. I'm not saying that we should confront perfect strangers in the line at Walmart for using God's name in vain, but, but you know, you might have a friend, a co-worker, a classmate, maybe even a family member who just habitually misuses God's name. I just want to challenge you to tactfully and lovingly correct them on that. Stand up for Jesus. Let them know that you don't appreciate that kind of language. And then by your lifestyle, help them to see Jesus through your eyes so that they won't want to use that kind of language anymore. Reverencing God's name is a gospel issue. Psalm 910 says, Those who know your name trust in you. What people think about God's name will help them to either trust in Him or turn from Him. And as we heard, Acts 4.12 reminds us that salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. How we speak about God is a gospel issue because how people talk about God influences how people think about God and that's either going to help them to come to faith in Jesus or it's going to be a stumbling block to keep them away from Jesus. How you and I talk about God has eternal consequences. I don't think I'm under I don't think I'm overstating that. If anything I'm understating it. We need to reverence God's name constantly. Secondly, we need to represent God's name clearly. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. If you call yourself a Christian, act like one. You should look different from this warped and crooked generation. You should be shining like a, like a star in the night sky. You should be different. Don't drag Jesus' name through the mud by your lifestyle. Because if you call yourself a Christian, you are representing Jesus to the world. I've heard it said there are two reasons why someone doesn't come to faith in Christ. 
The first is they've never met a Christian. Therefore, they've never had anybody tell them how to become a Christian. The first one, they've never met a Christian. The second one, they have met a Christian whose lifestyle didn't match up with their faith. If a lost person sees you and knows you're a Christian and says, well, you know what, there's really nothing different between me and them, then why would they need to put their faith in Jesus, right? If there's no difference between you and them. So y'all, don't be a bad advertisement for Jesus. Don't be a bad review for Jesus. Don't give God a bad name by the way you live because there are people around you, not just little eyes, but big eyes too. There are people around you watching you, evaluating you, and trying to see what difference does it make in your life that you're a Christian, that you go to First Baptist Church. So we need to guard our mouths and we need to guard our actions. The third way we can take God seriously is to rely on God's name completely. Psalm 33, 21 says, In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. The Bible teaches us that those who bless and trust in God's name will be blessed. They will rejoice. They will be secure. They will have peace and be comforted. Jesus tells us to pray in His name. And Paul wrote to the Colossian Christians that whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. See, when we rely completely on God's name, it reminds us that we don't have any right to come to Him in and of ourselves. God is holy, we are not. And I have no right on my own to come to God and ask Him for anything, but through Jesus, I can. Jesus is the bridge between a sinful humanity and a holy God. See, we don't come to God on our own power. We don't come to God in our own name but we come to Him in the name and power and authority of Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in no one else. Jesus' name is the only name by which we must be saved. Jesus is the way that we can bypass God's judgment for all the ways that we misuse and abuse God's name. I've said it every week. I'll say it again. None of us can keep the Ten Commandments. Say that with me. None of us can keep the Ten Commandments. We will break them. But Jesus came to keep them perfectly for us. And so in Jesus' name, you can pass from judgment to forgiveness. You can pass from death to life. I may tell myself here a little bit, but how many of you growing up ever had a teacher or a parent threaten to wash your mouth out with soap? Okay. Did anybody ever have that carried out on them? Okay. Did it work? Now I don't see any hands. No, it didn't work. Because the problem isn't in our mouth. The problem is in our heart. Washing out your mouth with soap doesn't change a thing. Only having Jesus Christ in your heart can cleanse you and forgive you. Because like that tube of toothpaste, whatever you're full of, when you get under the pressure of life, that's what's going to come out. And if you're full of selfishness, and you're full of anger and bitterness and jealousy and strife, and the pressures of life squeeze on you, guess what's going to come out of your mouth? But if you're full of Christ and His Holy Spirit, if you're full of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and life puts the pressure on you, guess what comes out? 
Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's the condition of your heart this morning? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Have you placed your faith and trust in Him to do for you what no amount of coming to church could ever do for you, and that's forgive you of your sins? If you haven't, as the instrumentalists come up and we're going to sing, I invite you to come this morning and let Jesus wash out your heart with His grace and mercy. Maybe this morning God is calling you to unite with this church family. You've been worshiping with us and you know that this is where God would have you to help you build a healthier family. We welcome you to come and unite with this church. Maybe you need to come and just kneel at this altar and say, God, forgive me for the way I have misused and abused your name. Help me to take you more seriously. Let's stand and let's sing together. You come as God leads.